You're about to hear a preview of Partially Examined Life supporter-exclusive content. To learn how to get the whole thing, check out partiallyexaminedlife.com slash support. Hey, this is episode 317, part two. Should we shift a little to Dimitri? He takes up such a huge part of the text. We barely said anything about him other than he has a weird combination of the two horses of Plato's chariot that we must control, the appetitive and the spiritual. I'd ask for more questions from the audience to follow up. We could continue our Q&A. And the, the one question that I got was, you know, where did his 3,000 rubles actually come from? I took him, I don't want to bother to repeat his whole story and his conflict about the money, but like, I just was taking that his testimony was truth. Like that there's no doubt that we as readers are supposed to say that, yes, he's exemplifying some complex psychology, some seemingly irrational, which is what makes it so hard for other people to believe him, but that we are supposed to believe him. So we know that his 3000 rubles came straight from Katerina, but he only spent half of it and blah, blah, blah. And not from murdering his father and taking the 3000 rubles, which is the point at issue. Well, you've associated him with Dumas and spiritedness and pride i mean but also he's driven by just like his father his lust for grushenka right that he has his interactions with katarina the woman that he's betrothed to are all these honor and weird competitiveness about this is it she bows to him originally or he bows to her yeah she bows to him because their relationship starts with him loaning her some money when she needs it but then she pays him back and then some when she comes into some money and now he owes her money. And so it's all coming from this. And like, he's so desperate for this money that he wants to pay her back because he doesn't want to be engaged to her because he's now filled with lust for Grushenka, for this other woman who is really the target of, you know, she actually ends up being an okay person when it comes down to it, but is seen as this temptress that he and his father are competing for the love of. And she's sort of stringing both of them along. In contemporary America, this kind of thing would play out in some version in maybe middle school or <laughs> high school. <laughs> it comes across as a bit overwrought these days for people in their 20s. I don't know. Am I being overly harsh with that assessment? All of the drama or the soap opera-ishness or the hyper-dramatic behavior? Yeah, hyper-dramatic. Like there are a bunch of hysterics. It makes you think this all would be a lot different if they had had more sex. (laughs) (laughs) When I read it, I felt like everything is just up to 11 for these people all the time. And I wanted to read it like uh, performative in a way that was unrealistic. But then I think about maybe this confirms the point. Just I was trying to decide if people actually act as hyperbolic as these characters do. And I was thinking of like reality TV shows and stuff like that. So I don't know if that confirms or denies the point. I find him hard to sympathize with ultimately. <laughs> uh, Fyodor? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Dimitri. Oh, yeah. Dimitri yeah. Fyodor. No, he's making all sorts of terrible decisions that it's like they're entirely self-inflicted. So during the interrogation when he's saying, gentlemen, I know we're not equals in this situation, but, you know, among gentlemen and friends, I don't know, just something about his expectation that all relationships be conducted on terms of honor and sort of gentlemanly respect and so on, that in the situation that he's in, so he doesn't really understand the gravity of the situation that he's in because he expects 
people to take him at his word and on his honor. The very thing that he's worried about having destroyed and sacrificed. And it's an odd thing that he's so, on the one hand, obsessed with honor and expect people to treat him as if he's that sort of person, but also continually excoriating himself for not living up to these very high standards. Do you think that there's an implied judgment about him? There's this big effort that they're going to try to get him to escape and everything like that. And I feel like Alyosha is clearly a kind of sympathetic hero in the book, for sure. And I even feel like there's a kind of sympathy for Ivan. Um, Not so much for Fyodor. And I'm wondering if there's effectively a kind of sympathy for Dimitri or not. I think there is. Yeah, same, but in the way more. that you'd have affection for like a golden retriever. <laughs> He's just bounding around, jumping on everyone and like... And eating poop. I mean, that, what, what, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay. Put his nose in it. Get out. Whenever the eldest son comes into conflict with the father, it's natural from the outside, right, to empathize with the son, particularly in a society where... Being the first son, standing to inherit, all those sorts of things actually mean something. I mean, I think we see Dimitri's behavior, which is similar to Fyodor's, but you don't get the perception, you don't get the sense that Dimitri literally has the same character as Fyodor. It's more like he's acting out in some respect. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Dimitri is much more sympathetic than Fyodor, even though from a behavior perspective, they appear to be similar. There's no sense in which you think of Fyodor as being redeemable, but Dimitri definitely is portrayed as a part of that is, you know, I mean, as thin as the female characters are in this novel relative to the male characters, Dimitri is loved. And there's a sense in which the love of a woman is part of the redemptive thing, which Fyodor doesn't have. Alyosha does as well, has it. Ivan, not so much. Right. So Alyosha officially is, is he still engaged to Lise at the end of the, it doesn't seem to have a significant impact on his life. The fact that he has maybe just cause he's, you know, this is only the beginning of his story and Dostoevsky was going to write more of it. And then Ivan, we don't know what really happens to him. Does he get over his craziness and actually able to have a relationship or is he too? Well, him pure? and Katerina obviously belong together. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get to see that. Whereas you're right, Seth, with Dimitri, we at least. He's going to run away with Grushenka and mm-hmm. I don't know that's going to be a very functional relationship, but at least like it is a key part of their, what is keeping them going. It's a way in which you could distinguish somebody from as at least being lovable. Ivan and Katarina are supposed to be together, but Katarina and Dimitri are engaged, right? At the beginning. Well, I mean, they're engaged the whole time, right? Dimitri never, re- never renounces that. He just doesn't. Well, he sends Alyosha to say... What's the phrase that's repeated over and over again? My giving you my respects or something? It's not that. Anyway, he sends Alyosha to break things off. And Alyosha does go there and yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. But does that constitute the breaking off of the, I, you know, it's, it's unclear. The fact that in the trial, she like, Katerina freaks out and contrary to her intentions, gives damning testimony against him, says that she has received the message. I don't remember if that's exactly why. I don't remember the details of the motivations of the characters at a given point to say if that's why she does that or not. Why she freaks out? Yeah, why she has this sudden turnabout that she's going to protect him. She freaks out because Ivan, she thinks Ivan is sacrificing himself Mm. for Dimitri when he gives the whole crazed speech about how Smirnikov is the person who did it. And so like, she's turned on by, she wants to sacrifice herself 
And she's turned on by self-sacrifice, right? That's how Dimitri got her, yeah. by trying to save her, sacrificing himself to save her, and that's what does it for her. Well, maybe we should turn to Ivan's psychology, because we've talked a little about the way in the lectures that I listened to, which were by Hubert Dreyfus. I did not name drop him in the first episode, in our live episode, but I was sort of referring to him. You know, he actually is the one who says that Ivan is collecting these stories of children suffering for prurient uses, that he is like their masturbatory material. Apparently that I was too subtle and somebody after the show. That's going too this going too far. This is this is Hubert Dreyfus's theory. But like his whole analysis of Ivan, I can't make a lot of sense of Ivan. This is why I'm relying on this as sort of a first place to go to, is that Ivan is not representing the atheist's non-believer point of view, as we've said. What he explicitly says is, I accept God, I just don't accept the plan, but that he is trying to be pure. So he's actually taking a part of the Christian directive but he's doing it differently than Alyosha does it and is trying to, I think we described in our live show that he was denying the bad parts of himself, right? He's externalizing. He's maybe making it to this devil that he talks to. He can't face the fact that he has desires, that he has his father's urges within him. And so he just does not have a good coping mechanism to deal with that. And this is what leads him ultimately to insanity. The fact that it's pointed out to him by Alyosha that you actually wanted your father dead, right? Or rather, Ivan asks him, did you think that I wanted this to happen? And Alyosha said, you know, honestly, yeah, I guess I thought, I didn't think you did anything, but like, yeah, of course. In other words, we all have these desires and our father is an asshole. Why would we not have some desires on some level, but Ivan cannot accept this in himself. And it's one of the reasons that he just, his coping strategy fails the test just like Dimitri's does. This is kind of true of all Dostoevsky's characters, that they're not, they're never just true to type. You might expect Ivan just to be more like what Rakitin turns out to be, which is the representative of new ideas and socialism and maybe, you know, atheism and nihilism or not, maybe not nihilism, but, and Ivan isn't that. He's wrestling with those ideas and he's tortured by them and he's wrestling with them in a very sophisticated way. Ivan's an incredible character in part because I don't know that any other fiction writer in history has been able to represent a philosophical argument that is so, at the same time, sophisticated and passionate and passionately delivered with rhetorical flair. And, and it, it shows you how deeply engaged Dostoevsky himself is with the philosophical issues. There's nothing light or fluffy literary, in a literary way about it. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support. Thanks for listening.